You know, when you teach on the Easter, Christmas, Father's Day, Mother's Day, you kind of take your life in your hands because it's kind of an important day and you're going to blow somebody's expectation, maybe make somebody else's. But I think in the end, especially on Easter, if we go away with any kind of concept, enlarged concept about Christ and the importance of his resurrection, then we've done okay. So, Steve, maybe this morning, I hope whatever else you hear, we grow a little bit in our sense of that. I think it was Yogi Berra... You know, one of his memorable statements, I think it's him that said, it ain't over till it's over. You remember that one? It ain't over. It's like deja vu all over again, Dan. It ain't over till it's over. And Easter is probably the best example that I could think of for that. It ain't over till it's over. Stan and Sam have got a few crosses out here. You remember if we were putting ourselves back in the Easter week a couple thousand years ago, Jesus is crucified on Friday, and it really looks like it's over. And it's easy if you're reading somebody else's story to read it like it's no big deal because you know where it's going. But if you're in the story, it's an entirely different matter. And for the disciples and for all those who had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah 2,000 years ago, that crucifixion and that Roman sword or spear through the side and that wrapped body in a tomb looked like it was over. It looked like all their hopes were dead and buried with Jesus. But as Yogi said, it ain't over it's over and you know in God's economy and especially when Jesus is involved a death is only the beginning that's the other phrase if you take anything away this morning death is only the beginning when Jesus and God are involved when we started homeschooling our kids years ago one of the first things we studied was ancient Egypt we were doing history and we were kind of starting at biblical times and going forward from there And we're still entranced by ancient Egypt, movies, books, videos, magazine articles, etc. The ancient Egyptians may have had it wrong on a number of things, but they certainly had something right, and that was this. The ancient Egyptians believed that death was only the beginning. And you know Egypt attracts visitors from all over the world today because the ancient Egyptians believed death was only the beginning. What do I mean by that? Why do people go to Egypt? They go to see the pyramids. They go to see the Valley of the Kings. They go to see the tombs of the pharaohs. And those tombs, these elaborate buildings in the Valley of the Kings, these elaborate tombs were there because the Egyptians believed that death was not the end. Death was the beginning. And so they were preparing for their afterlife. Now, they had a lot of other things wrong, obviously, but they got that. Death was only the beginning. If you remember last week when we were in the front end of John 11, and if you've got a Bible and want to, you can turn to John 11 now. That's where we'll park for most of our time this morning. Uh, In the front end of John 11, we talked about the Palm Sunday, and, and we looked at it from a little different lens because we realized that Jesus went into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and it looked like the answer to all these hopes and prayers. Here was the Messiah riding in, just like the Scriptures had said. And yet we looked and it was kind of a disappointment because he got to the city after the thronging crowds and the cries for Hosanna, which means God save now. And they're not only rejoicing in Jesus' appearance, but they're asking him to do something, deliver us from the Romans, deliver us from oppression. He goes up to the temple, turns around and goes home. It was kind of a disappointment. And we connected that in John 11 with Martha and Mary's cries to Jesus for their brother Lazarus. And if you remember, these were loved friends of Jesus, and Lazarus got sick. Mary and Martha send word and say, Hey, your friend Lazarus is sick. Would you come down and take care of him? And we said Jesus' response to that was to 
park himself and his friends for two more days. He didn't go down to rescue Lazarus. And we said oftentimes God doesn't deliver us the way we thought he would or hoped he would or prayed he would when we cried out, God save us now. We're going to pick up that same theme this morning in John 11 as we look at what Jesus does after that with Lazarus and the dead. Is it over or is it a new beginning? I'm going to read from John 11 starting at verse 17 this morning. When Jesus came, he found that he, that is Lazarus, had already been in the tomb four days. Now remember, put this in context, Jesus had gone back up north because the Jews want to stone him down around Jerusalem, which is where Bethany's at, down in the south. Bethany's just east of Jerusalem a couple miles. So they'd gone north. So when Mary and Martha send word, it's one to two days journey north to get Jesus. Then he parks for two more days. Then he takes one to two more days back down. So if you put this in context, Lazarus must have died about the same time Jesus got word that he was sick. Probably died about the same time. This really doesn't make much difference for the story, but that means that even if Jesus had come down immediately, Lazarus would already have been dead and in the tomb two days. But So there's about a two-day journey up. Jesus hears, he parks for two more days and comes back down. So four days later... Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, just to the east, if you know the geography there, on the Mount of Olives on the east side. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. By the way, you guys know in Middle Eastern cultures, this is still somewhat the same today. You didn't go to a funeral one day and, you know, to the meal afterwards and go home. This would go on, this consolation and grieving would go on for days or weeks. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Uh, Listen to these words, uh, Martha's first words to Jesus. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Do you guys sense a little accusation here? You know, Lord, uh, if you'd come when we asked you to, uh, everything would be okay. Lazarus wouldn't be in the tomb. He'd be alive. He'd still be okay. You guys probably aren't like me in in that sometimes I I do this exact same thing. You know, if I pray and I ask God for deliverance from something or ask him to give me something else and it doesn't come about, you know, my first thought or Martha's words here, you know, Lord, if you'd been on the ball, if you'd done what you were supposed to, if you'd come when I asked, everything would be okay. You've kind of blown it, but I'll overlook that now if you'll just make things right now. But Martha, and by the way, I'm picking on Martha a little bit here, and we're, we're reading into her words some motives. Uh, Martha actually shines in this passage. Martha is a character in the Scriptures who is often castigated because she's characterized by a passage in which she appears anxious. She's working hard, and she's trying to take care of everybody. But in this passage, she shines because she really does believe in Jesus. But her first words to him when he comes down are, If you'd been here... We wouldn't be having this trouble now. We wouldn't be mourning, and my brother wouldn't be in the tomb. And you know, if you pin your hopes uh, on God to do something specific for you, and we actually talked about this in some depth last week, when you do what the Jews did on that day of uh, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and you say, God, save us now, help me now, take care of this problem now, and he lets you suffer through it, oftentimes your thought is the same as Martha's, Lord, you blew it. I'm facing this trouble. I've lost my house or my spouse or my job or life's not what it could be. If only you'd done what I asked you, if only you delivered when I'd asked you, things would be better. In some sense, we're saying, God, it's your fault. Martha said it this way. If you'd been here, 
my brother would still be alive. But notice what else she says. Uh, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. Now, her brother's dead. And this conversation gets a little confusing. We're not sure how to put all the pieces of this together. We'll kind of do our best here this morning. But we're not sure exactly what Jesus means when he says something. We're not sure exactly what Martha says in, in some other statements here, too. But Martha says this, Lord, I know that God would give you anything you asked for. And I assume that what she's saying is, I know even now that if you ask for my brother's life, that God would give it to you. So, Lord, even though you blew it because you didn't get here on time and my brother's in the tomb, I know even now that if you ask God, he would give you my brother back from the dead. Now, remember, she knows her brother's really, really dead. There's no question about this. Lazarus is dead and he's in the tomb. So in that sense, it looks like all hope for deliverance is dead and buried with Lazarus. But in the face of that, Martha says, Hey, I know even now, Lord, you can bring deliverance. Death may not be final. Jesus says to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. In other words, yeah, Lord, I get it. I know when at the end of time when everyone's raised, my brother Lazarus will be raised with them. Jesus said to her, one of the most important phrases, statements in all the Bible, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? This phrase of Jesus, you remember seven times in John's Gospel, he says this, I am phrase. And I am, remember, means it's a claim to deity. It's God's eternal name. I am the one who always was, always will be. I'm the eternally existent one. <laughs> Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> Jesus says with one of the seven great I am refrains, I am the resurrection and the life. To Martha's uh, phrase about, yeah, I know he'll be raised at the end. Jesus says, you don't understand. The resurrection is right here with you in my person. Jesus says to those who are dead, he's resurrection. He's life again to get up again. And to those who are still living, he's life that never ends. And you remember in John 10 when Jesus said he was the good shepherd, he said the good shepherd would give his sheep eternal life, life to the ages, a life that would never end. That's what Jesus reiterates here. He says the benefit here is for everyone who believes. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live. Even if he dies, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha says, yes, Lord, I've believed. You are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who comes in to the world. You know, we castigate Martha because she's this gal that's working all the time and getting upset and anxious. But her words here are sterling. Do you remember just back in John 11, the passage we looked at last week, where Thomas, the guy who's always castigated because uh, doubting Thomas, you know, says to Jesus or says of Jesus, I won't believe unless I see the prince put my hand in his side. And we think of Thomas in that light, yet last week we saw Thomas says, hey, I'm ready to go and die with Jesus. If he's going to go and die, I'll go with him. Thomas loved him. Well, here Martha's the same thing. We think of her as this hardworking gal who just gets herself worked up. But her words here are echoes of Nathaniel in John 1, 
about you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, or in John 6 when Peter says to Jesus' question, hey, do you guys want to leave me too? And Peter says, where would we go? We've come to believe. We know who you are. There's no turning back. That's exactly what Martha says here. She says, I know who you are. There's no turning back. You're the Christ, the Son of God, the one who comes into the world. To his question, do you believe? She says, yes, I believe. I know who you are. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here. He's calling for you. When she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her when they saw that Mary got up quickly, went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet. By the way, each time you see Mary in the gospel, she's at Jesus' feet. She said to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. That sounds familiar. Another echo. By the way, three times this is said in this passage. Martha, Mary, and then the crowd will say the same thing later. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Shortest uh, verse in all the Bible. Jesus wept. Mary states the same thing Martha had, and the crowd says later, Lord, we think you blew it. If you'd been here earlier, everything would be okay. This phrase, when it says in verse 33, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, says that here. It says in verse 35, Jesus weeps. And in verse 38, again, Jesus was deeply moved. Um, In the Greek, this means Jesus was deeply moved, and it just means that his emotions were entirely engaged. That was a joke, Stan. In the Greek, it means Jesus was deeply moved. Anyway, um, there's the thought. It almost touches on anger. He's upset. His spirit is troubled. He's deeply moved. And then it says he weeps. There's speculation on what exactly this means. Why is Jesus emotionally compelled in this way? Why does Jesus weep? There's some, in my mind, ridiculous thoughts that Jesus sees the unbelieving crowd, and so he's, he's upset because of that. I think really what this comes down to is Jesus faces death, what looks like the finality of death and the loss of all hope and the reality of loss and pain and suffering, frustration related to death in his friends Mary and Martha and in the fact of Lazarus' death and burial in the tomb. And I think at that human level, Jesus is fully engaged emotionally and he enters into the suffering and the loss just as really as you or I would even though he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But I think Hebrews talks about Jesus has entered into the same kinds of temptations and emotions and life trials that we have, and I think this is a perfect example. That even though he just stated he's the resurrection and the life, he still sees the reality and the suffering related to pain and death. The Jews looked at Jesus' response in his weeping, and the Jews were saying, See how he loved him. Some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, comes to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus says, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. 
Martha's response here isn't one of, of uh, incredulity. It's not that she lacks faith or belief. She doesn't know what Jesus is about to do. She knows he's the Messiah. She knows he has power to accomplish whatever he wants, but she doesn't know that he's already committed to raising her brother. So she's just telling him, Lord, he's really dead. And this is not a pretty thing, and it's not going to smell good when we roll that stone away four days in the tomb. And by the way... Um, you know, when you read the gospel accounts, I sometimes can't believe that the disciples don't get it. You know, they'll, Jesus tells them all, over and over. He often repeats, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'll suffer and I'll be crucified. And, and it says they didn't understand. The disciples, and, and Martha here, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection. Life is right here with you now. You don't have to wait for the end of the age. And Martha doesn't get it either. But, you know, we're the same way. God can sometimes make things very clear to us, and we are just dull as fence posts. We don't get it. And that's what Martha's at. She doesn't know that Jesus is committed right now to raising her brother from the dead. Jesus says, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you'd see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And by the way, in the passage before today, Jesus said that this episode with Lazarus would not end in death, that it would work for the glory of God so that people would believe in Jesus. And you remember John's gospel. That's the only reason he wrote it. He said so that people would believe in Jesus and have life in his name. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. I don't know if you guys are like me. I'm a visual learner, so when I read things, I see them. And I love this picture. Here's Jesus standing at the doorway of death. And he hollers and says, Death, basically give up Lazarus. He calls Lazarus out from the doorway of death. I loved, I think it was Augustine who said, Jesus had to call Lazarus by name because if he hadn't, all the dead would have come out with him. If he just said, come forth, all the dead would have come out with him. This harkens back, by the way, to John 5, verse 21. Jesus had said there, Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. And then in verse 25 he said, I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This is exactly this perfect example of this in Lazarus. So here's Jesus standing at the doorway of death, this large stone rolled in front of the tomb, standing at the doorway of death, and he calls Lazarus by name, and Lazarus comes forth. I'm going to digress for a minute from this John passage to mention Luke 7, 11 through 17 these pictures about Jesus confronting death. In Luke 7, Jesus and his disciples are going to the city of Nain. And it's quite specific. It says that they're coming to the gate of the city. And as they're starting to go through the gate of the city going in, coming out of the gate of the city is a funeral procession. And in this funeral procession, there's a young man in a coffin being carried out to be buried with his widowed mother. And so this picture in Luke 7 is death is coming through the gates of the city and life is coming to the gates of the city. 
And if you remember in ancient times, uh, cities of any size were walled as a means of protection. And the gates were these important locations because the politics of the city would be carried out at the gate of the city. And judicial judgments would be given at the gate of the city. And in times of warfare, you lost or kept the city based on whether or not you could maintain that gate. So in Luke 7, just like John 11 here, you've got this picture. Jesus, the Prince of Life, the resurrection and the life, comes to the gate of the city and death is coming out. They meet at the gate and Jesus raises the dead young man from the grave there in Luke 7. It's the same picture. With Lazarus, he stands at the doorway to death and he says, come forth. And in Luke 7, he stands at the gate of death and defeats death there as well. Also, when Martha says Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days, this may be important. Some commentators think that uh, there was a Jewish thought at this same time that someone might be so sick that we would say today they were comatose. They would appear to be dead, but maybe they really weren't. And so there was a Jewish thought that somebody might survive in a coma, you know, without being able to eat or drink for three days. But by four days, absolutely no way they were still alive. So it may be that Jesus wanted to observe that Jewish thought, and that would have been the reason that he would have waited two more days, so that by the time he came down, there would have been no thought, no hope left that Lazarus could possibly still be alive. He may have waited to make sure that everyone knew he didn't wake a sleeping man, he raised a dead man. What looked like the end of all Mary and Martha's hopes that Lazarus would be raised, of course it ended. They're at the fourth day, so all hope is over. Death, it looks like, is won, and all hope is over. Was Lazarus really dead? Absolutely. But was death... The finality, as far as Jesus was concerned, absolutely not. Death was the beginning of God's plan, in this case, to glorify Jesus and bring others to life with him. In both the case of the young man in Luke 7 and Lazarus here, death looks like the real end. It looks like it's all over because death has really occurred, and that looks like the end. And in both cases, Jesus comes up and proves that it ain't over Till it's over. Death was only the beginning. In both cases, the young man and Lazarus were brought back to life for a season, though. Think about this. You guys know there, there are these uh, passages, there's these people in the uh, biblical record who were brought back to life from the dead. But what did that look like for them? Uh, for Lazarus or for the young guy in Luke 7, they were raised from the dead. They'd really died, really been dead. They're really brought back. And then they live for a while, and then what do they do? And they died again. You know, I, if death is a horrible thing to go through, I'd rather do it once. Jesus brings them back, and they live life for a while, but the truth is they died again. Death took them again. They were raised for a while, but they died again. And it's clear because of that that we needed a more permanent solution to ending death. You know, within a very short time of this episode with Lazarus, Jesus is in exactly the same position Lazarus was in John 11. Jesus was crucified on Friday, just as these crosses remind us, and there was no doubt that he was dead. You remember John, who's writing here, 
John said that Roman soldier went up with a spear and he pushed it in Jesus' side and blood and water came out. And blood and water means he's been dead and the fluids in the blood have separated and the, the blood, the Stan, you know about all this stuff. You know, the, the blood, the platelets and all, it's separating. And so there's fluid uh, plasma, right? And then there's the red blood cells, the heavier blood cells. There's no doubt Jesus is really dead. Just like Lazarus, four days, Jesus, really dead. So, the spear through his side, blood and water, he's dead. The Romans uh, knew a lot of things, and one thing they were very good about was death, and there was no, no doubt about it. Jesus was really dead. And then, just like Lazarus, he was wrapped up. This was done quickly because it was almost sundown. The Sabbath was coming. They had to get him in the tomb. So he's wrapped up, probably not as well as Lazarus had been, but he's wrapped up, and just like Lazarus, he's, he is laid in a hole in the ground, and a big stone is rolled in front of it. And I'm picking up here John 20, one of the well-known Easter passages. Just like Lazarus, really dead, really in the tomb, death looks like the finality. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, though, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. John saw and believed. He got it. The empty tomb was proof that death wasn't the end, that it wasn't really over, that death for Jesus had become a new beginning. In Jesus' death and resurrection, the power of death was finally broken. You know that without Jesus' death on the cross on Friday, the resurrection wouldn't count for much. Jesus had to put away sin. If you remember elsewhere in Scripture, it says that the power of sin is death. The power of sin had to be broken. Jesus had to die for our sins so that the ultimate power of death could be broken in the resurrection. If the sins weren't taken care of, we would be like Lazarus today. If we died and were buried and Jesus called us forth, we'd live another day and then we'd die again. So Jesus' death and his resurrection were what we needed. You know, today when you bury a friend or a family member, you suffer just like Mary and Martha did or just like Jesus' disciples and family and friends did. You suffer real pain, real loss, real separation, real frustration. Because that death is this separation. But you know the truth is that it's not the end of the story. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection. That means I give life to those who've lost it. And I am the life. And to those I give life, they'll never lose it. Even if you're separated from your body for a time, Jesus said you've still got real life. Paul says later in Philippians that for those who die... They're separated from their body. He said it's actually a good thing because they go and they are present with the Lord. Until the, the bodies are resurrected, they're still present with the Lord. They're in conscious presence of Jesus. So 
there's still a frustration to death when you and I bury friends and family and loved ones. But since death is only the beginning, since Jesus Christ conquered sin and death in His death and resurrection, death really is only the beginning. So when you look at a gravestone, when you've buried that loved one, don't think of the end, but think of a beginning. You could think of it like this, that that gravestone is actually a launching pad from which in the future an immortal body will join an immortal soul. This passage out of John 5 is still going to take place. Jesus is still going to call. He's still going to shout. 1 Thessalonians talks about this. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this. Jesus is still going to come one day and he's going to give this call. And it won't be specific to the Lazaruses of the world. It will be to all. And immortal bodies will be joined with immortal spirits forever. And death will be swallowed up in victory. So when we bury a friend or a loved one today, we still have a sense of the power of death because there is at least a temporary separation. But remember that death really is a beginning and that that gravestone is not the end, it's a launching pad. And by the way, in your life and mine, you and I probably suffer many, many deaths in the sense that we think God's going to do something for us and He doesn't. And we pin our hopes and we pray fervently about something and God doesn't do it. In other words, just like Lazarus, it looks like we, we die to something, we bury something, a hope or a dream. And it looks like that is the end. But the truth is, in God's economy, when Jesus is involved, death is only the beginning. And it doesn't mean that God's going to give you and I all the nice things that we want in life because He's after more than our having a nice time on this earth. He's after bigger and better things than that for us. But when you feel that hope has died or that some dream of yours has died or that some opportunity you thought was there doesn't come about, you lose something you thought you had, you don't gain something you thought you were going to get, and it looks like your hopes or your dreams have died, ask God this, Lord, since death for you is only the beginning, what are you up to? What do I need to look forward to? What do I need to have my eyes open to? A few years ago, uh, we buried a friend. Um, Grace Robinson was, was a delightful gal. She lived far longer on the earth than she wanted to. She'd keep telling us, uh, if you knew Grace Robinson, she was about this tall. She had white hair from the time she was in her 20s or 30s. She never drove a car in her life. Uh, she walked in town. If you lived in central Topeka, you may have grown up seeing Grace Robbins. She looked the same to me for 30 years, 30 or 40 years. It's a little diminutive uh, firecracker of a woman. Um, anyway, I was responsible for Grace's funeral, and she had opinions about everything, and she'd written out her funeral beforehand. So, you know, whoever was doing it basically was constrained by Grace's uh, narrow parameters, which was fine. But when we buried Grace, and if you can go, if you're in the, the uh, cemetery at 17th and uh, Fairlawn, you can go in sometime and just east of the office area is Grace's uh, grave marker. And besides Grace's name and the date of her birth and the date of her death, John 11, verse 25 and 26 are on her grave marker. And it says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? And we just thought that was our pick for Grace's grave marker. We, we uh, labored and thought. She didn't ask for that part. We added that. Grace had known the Lord all her life. 
And we knew that when she was buried, for us it was a temporary separation. And Grace didn't see anything about loss in her death. She was good and ready to go. She'd been asking to go for some time. She was over 90. So she, she'd always say, I didn't ask to be around this long. Why doesn't God take me home? And so he finally did. She didn't see death as the end. She saw it as the beginning. And we thought for anyone that walked up to Grace's grave and looked at that in the future, John 11, 25 and 26 are on there. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. He, who, he, um, he who believes in me will never die. Sorry, I'm forgetting the rest of the verse. But the thought is that death is only the beginning. That when dreams die, when we bury loved ones or family or friends, it's not the end in God's economy. It's only the beginning. Let's pray. Lord, I'm struck by the fact that all of us, as we go through this life, experience death of dreams and hopes. Lord, we don't get what we thought we would. We get things we never would have asked for. And it feels like our hopes and our dreams die and are buried, just like Lazarus and Jesus were. Lord, I know that because you've conquered sin and death that there's nothing that you haven't put under your power and authority. And Lord, so that everything and anything that enters our life is subject to your command. And Lord, I know you promised to use all things for our good to take death, Lord, and to somehow turn it upside down and bring life to us out of it. Lord, thanks that you are the resurrection and the life. Lord, thanks that all who commit themselves to you do so with hope for the future. Lord, hope in this life and hope for eternity. Lord, I pray that today each one of us would hear your voice again and would be called out to life. Lord, that like Lazarus, we'd come out from the grave. We'd hear your voice and we come forth. Help those, Lord, who don't know you yet, who don't believe, to understand your clear call. It's an invitation to life. No downside at all. And Lord, for those who have believed, help us to continue to entrust ourselves to you, not just for the day of our death, Lord, but for all the days in between. And Lord, when it looks like all is lost, help us to remember that for you, death is only the beginning. In Jesus' name, amen.